the reality is that in the long term, taking care of your people will have the impact on revenue that you need and want it to have. But in the short term, people can lose sight of that, I think, when they're scrambling to make their numbers. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Mind Valley is bringing you the most advanced education in the world. If you are a member of Mind Valley, know that you're going to get access to all of this for less than $2 a day. See, most schools like Harvard charge thousands of dollars for a college education, and we think this is rubbish. We know that in five years from now, you will be better equipped when you get to study from the likes of the incredible teachers that we bring on the Mind Valley platform with the curriculum design, the amazing storytelling, and the technology that really enables you to truly transform. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman to learn more on how to become a member of Mind Valley. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. We are here with the amazing Shannon Huffman Polson, and we're going to be talking about grit. She is the author of the upcoming book, The Grit Factor Courage, Resilience, and Leadership in the Most Male Dominated Organization in the World. She has a fascinating history, starting from in the army was the first woman to fly the apache helicopter and has worked for companies such as guidant and microsoft she is the founder and ceo of the grit institute and she helps leaders develop within organizations that are dedicated to whole leadership approach to ethical and people-centered performance in times of change and challenge and as we know 2020 has been one of those years of challenge and change and so we're going to talk about what are those qualities you can develop? How can you apply her methodology? And before I bring Shannon on, remember that if you enjoy Superhumans at Work, be sure to subscribe. And if you haven't already, leave a review on Apple Podcasts so we can get more people to discover how to become superhumans themselves. And now let's get started with Shannon. Shannon, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's great to join you. Now, Shannon, you know, the funny thing is we actually had two recordings of this podcast. The first one was my fault. I forgot to hit the record button. And so I'm so glad we get to chat again. And we actually had a chance to speak about leadership so in depth last time. And this is really where I want to kick it off again, because you had a history in the U.S. Army. And this is a very male dominated and very, I would say, command and control type of operation is what I would assume. And so I'd be curious to know, what are some of the lessons you've learned within the army and do they apply pretty much similarly in the corporate world or are there some key differences we need to apply here? Yeah, that's such a great question. And I do think that there is a difference in the more hierarchical aspect of a military command and control environment than there is in a corporate environment. Although I will say that as an aviator and in the aviation field, it's much less so that way. It's not quite like it is with the infantry and the Marines. It is a little bit more of a an environment where people are really both rely on value and need to have that technical, that skill that's necessary to get the mission done. And because of that, I would say that that command and control sort of a structure is less regimented than it is in other parts of the military, since it's a huge organization with many different specialties, as you know. But you know, the thing that I talk about a lot with clients and when I do have the chance to keynote across the country and to clients around the world on leadership and grit, the piece of leadership that I really like to pull out that I think is so critical and is really the most 
the most impactful aspect of leadership that comes from the military when they do it well, they do it extremely well, which is really taking care of your people. And there's no difference between that in the corporate world than there is in the military, than there is anywhere else. So the military, it's 24-7 on and off duty. It's oftentimes life and death sorts of situations. But regardless, taking care of your people and putting your people first cannot possibly be overemphasized. And I think there are really outstanding lessons to learn from those who have worn the uniform just how to do that and how to think about that. I love that. And, you know, taking care of your people, you would think that it would be a natural instinct as humans to take care of each other, right? And you would think in the corporate world, that should be one of our primary ways of operating. We should be taking care of the people. It seems like in a quote, it seems like it should be obvious, but you've consulted a lot of companies that probably found themselves in a space where they weren't necessarily taking care of their people first. I'd be curious to know what have you witnessed in the corporate world and why is it that we find ourselves not taking care of the people as a primary objective? Yeah, well, I think there's one easy answer to that, and that is what we reward, right? And if you reward short-term earnings and you reward short-term success over long-term success, then that can tend to be the focus, which can be much more revenue-based and less people-based. The reality is that in the long-term, taking care of your people will have the impact on revenue that you need and want it to have. But in the short-term, people can lose sight of that, I think, when they're scrambling to make their numbers. I just talked to a company recently, and it's a it's a startup, it's an established startup, but they're still in this mentality of kind of bringing people in and sending them out to do things. And they're struggling in a particular area that I'm working with them on. And I asked them actually, instead of asking about that particular area where they really wanted the information and the training, which will certainly develop, my first question really was, do your people feel valued? Do your people feel like they're being taken care of. And immediately the person that was in charge said, no, they, they don't, you know, we bring them in, we throw them out to go do what they need to do. And I was like, I think that's where you got to start, right? Not on training the skills that they don't execute on quite well enough yet, but really on how they feel a part of that company so that they are able to really then go out and make the mission their own. Mm. I just came thinking of this example that, you know, when you're in the military, I would think the strategies you would apply if you're not taking care of your people would probably result in a lot of sacrifices and useless sacrifices that are literally life and death. Whereas in the corporate world, I feel like it's a more slow burn. If you're really using up your people, you're not taking care of them, you're overworking them, you just have a slow trickle of maybe resignments or lower productivity. It might not be as obvious as, for example, taking a bunch of people out to a suicide mission where the cost would seem very real immediately after that battle. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously it depends on whether a unit is in combat or whether they're in training, but certainly there's a more, the effects are certainly emphasized in higher stakes environments for sure. But, you know, the company that I was talking to is talking about a very high turnover rate, you know, much worse results than they were hoping for in a certain area. And I think those are exactly what you see in a corporate environment when people aren't feeling taken care of. And the military, of course, you know, once you sign up, you're going to fulfill your commitment because you're required to. So there is no, the turnover rate doesn't happen, but the performance is impacted, of course, by how people feel like they're valued and how they're taken care of and developed. I love it. Now, I know you speak a lot about the concept of grit, the grit factors at the foundation of what you teach. And when I hear this, I feel like these are all a kind of quality that we need to embody as individuals. Yet when you are a leader, I feel like there's probably some more demands on being gritful at this point. Can you elaborate more on the theory? 
Yeah. And maybe what I could do first is kind of set that up a little bit. The grit factor was just came out in September and it was the result of many years of research. The first several of them were interviews with leaders in the vanguard of their fields. And this all came about, the genesis of the project came about because a young lieutenant asked me if I would mentor her as she began the same process that I had done now many years ago, starting flight school at Fort Rucker, Alabama, and then going into Army aviation. So I originally said yes right away. I was really excited. And then I thought, gosh, how do I scale the advice that I can bring to her? Because it's been a while since I've worn the uniform. And my integration as one of the first women to fly the Apache certainly was somewhat unique. So how do I scale that advice I bring to her? And then if I do that work, scale that information that I've pulled together to be able to be available to a much larger group of people. And that's really the genesis of what became the grit factor. I interviewed early women general officers, aviators across three generations from World War II to the present, a combat rescue swimmer in the Coast Guard, one of the first women to be in submarines, one of the first women Army Rangers. So this incredible cohort of leaders, both individually and in charge of organizations. And they shared their stories so generously, their lessons learned, the things they'd wish they'd done differently. And that really forms the backbone of a structure that falls out into commit, learn, and launch. And, you know, the way that the structure of the book is set up, again, informed by these stories and the background research in leadership management and psychology that really goes into leadership, that goes into grit and resilience, is applicable to an individual for sure, just like you mentioned, this concept of grit and resilience, being able to push through the hardest challenges and to persevere in the face of many obstacles. All of these leaders had typically what I'd like to think of as the double crucible. And that's a term that was coined by a law professor at Stanford, really. But these are women leaders who are often in environments that are not receptive to them being there and sometimes openly antagonistic. So they're both fulfilling this incredibly demanding role of a job, sometimes in combat, oftentimes in combat, oftentimes as one of the first women to do so. And they're operating in this environment that's so challenging for them simply to just be there, to be able to be there to exist, to contribute. So this double crucible is their existence. Their entire service is made up of this. And they do have to show grit. They have to embody grit as an individual, as the contributor. And as a leader, I think what's important, I was just thinking about this this morning, actually, that as a leader, you certainly have to set the vision for an organization, right? We all understand that concept. But when it comes to grit and resilience, when it comes to those character traits, and I really do think of that as something that's not a discrete skill, but grit is really part of the fabric of our character, our entire character, past, present, and future. And it's something that we can build. We have to both model that as best we can, right? Continue to build it in ourselves, but then also enable and celebrate it in others, right? So you have to help the others both see it and then develop it and then be able to celebrate and help them to use that in challenges that allow them to contribute in the ways that they are best able to do so. So to both be able to be an example yourself and be able to then enable that in others. Well, I would definitely assume that if you're embodying those leadership qualities yourself, you're definitely inspiring a lot more people to at least have an example of what behavior to model, which brings me also to this, you know, this whole aspect of having women stepping into these leadership roles and having these adversities that are being overcome when they become the, for example, you were the first to drive an Apache helicopter. I would assume that there's been many women since 
that have had the chance to do the same task now that you've paved the way for them by doing it the first. And so are we still seeing that there's a lot of places where women need to step into a leadership role because it's never been done before. And that allows to pave the way for so many else to be able to step into that role model as well. You know, it's interesting because in the military, especially a lot of roles are opening up to women now. Most roles are actually open to women. The challenge is, is with so few women in those roles, and this would be true for any minority in, in any kind of a potential situation. The challenge is, is that it's not simply that somebody needs to be there to fulfill this role, to be able to be the example, but that it's really a cultural shift that has to happen. And I think this is such an important question that you just asked because it's not quite the right question with all respect. I think the question is, and this is the question we have got to ask in our organizations, is how do we as a culture allow everybody to make the best contribution that they possibly can. And that means that those who are in the majority are the ones that are really going to have to help to make that work, right? It's not the few people that are paving the way. That's a really important role. And I think it's a really challenging role. It is also challenging, although not quite as challenging, but, but challenging for the majority to say, hey, let's what do we need to do to ensure that every person that comes to the table has the opportunity to contribute fully to the mission? And that is ultimately, the studies are very, very clear that when you do that, the bottom line is improved, performance is improved, everything is better with a diverse group that comes to the table. But the majority has got to be involved in making that cultural shift. So I think there will always be those of us who are willing to go out there and charge ahead, but real change will happen when it is the entire organization that is a part of it. I love that. And thank you for bringing that up because yes, I feel like we should all play a role. And I'd be curious to know from your experience, like for somebody who's in an organization and we're trying to bring out more out of every one of our people, what are some things that we could do to make changes immediately when it comes to allowing these opportunities to even happen? Because I'm actually even surprised on how much resistance still exists today. So I'd be curious to know what are some ways that we can enable this culture to shift even faster? Yeah, thank you for asking that question. You're absolutely right. There is still incredible resistance that is born of a lot of things, but I think primarily either cultural norms that are slow to change and, and also, frankly, some ignorance, I'm sorry to say. But I think the way that when somebody is committed to, when an organization is committed to making that change, the commitment is key, right? Because the leadership has to support it and the leadership has to be looking for ways to support it. I would say there's a few things that you could do right off the bat. The first is an absolutely zero tolerance for any kind of harassment of any kind. And it has to be zero tolerance. And that means whether it's public or whether it's an aside, it has to be simply cut out. And I think that there have been few places that have been willing to do that. But if you are willing to do that, that will be a very good step in the right direction. The second thing is, and you know, when I talk about in the grit factor, I talk about owning your story. That's the very first chapter. And this is this deep internal work. There's this past, work in your past, work in your deep engagement in the present, and then work in the future. But the story component is so incredibly powerful, not just for yourself, but for an organization. And I think it's really interesting to think of the ways that we do tell stories within an organization. One is by the stories that you audibly share, like at the beginning of a meeting or a beginning of a committee meeting or examples that you might give. And I think a leadership that is committed to having everybody come to the table 
offering their skills equally and without resistance, will tell stories that reflect the diversity of those who are coming to the table and or who you want to have come to the table. So it can't always be stories about white males, right? I mean, you've got to just do a little bit more research and and find some other stories. The stories that we tell are also the stories of the quotes that we use in the newsletter or the pictures that are hanging on the wall in the company headquarters. And I will tell you, I still come across articles that are either with photographs or with quotes or with references are consistently not diverse. And I think that's a real problem. And it's not that difficult to find outstanding examples of leadership across a pretty big spectrum. So I would really challenge leaders to look for those and to share those and to make those part of the lore of their organization, as well as having that zero tolerance policy for harassment. So those would be the two immediate steps that I think you could take to really start to change that culture. Thank you so much. I think that's something everybody listening can take an action on. I know for me, as I was hosting this podcast, it's actually very interesting because I find it's very easy to find yourself just selecting white males as far as guests to come on the show to speak of business, when actually there's so many amazing people of diverse cultural background, diverse racial background, and diverse genders that can actually come on the show and share their insights. And so I'm so excited that we've made as much effort as possible to bring as much balance as possible, at least from a gender perspective. And we're always striving to see if we can reflect more cultures and races to be on the show as well. Because I agree, when the lore is actually always repeating the same message of a same type of demographic, then you're actually painting the image of that's the only possibility. And so that is huge. I'm glad that we're doing it. And I'm glad you're suggesting it for everybody else. And you didn't talk about how organizations need to make that commitment for that change to happen, which also happens to be one of the initial phrases of your grit fractor framework. And so as individuals, when we want to step into our leadership, can you speak more about this stage of commitment and how important it is? Yeah. As you know, when you make a commitment to something like you've just described, it's something that you don't do once. It's something that you do again and again and again. And in the grip factor, again, the structure breaks out into three sections because of the stories and the lessons learned shared by the leaders that are a part of it. And so that first stage is commit. Second stage is learn. Third stage is launch. And that corresponds with what I now think of as the grit triad, the past, the present, and the future. That commit stage, I really think of that as owning your past. And it just mean accepting what has happened, although there's an element of that. But the reality is, is that all of us are given raw material of our lives. And we pick some of it, but some of it is given to us and we wouldn't choose it necessarily. But we do have the opportunity and the responsibility to shape that raw material in a direction that we want to go, in the direction where we feel like we are most able and most meant or most called even to contribute to the world. And I think that's really that work of owning your own story. What's very clear for the leaders of the grit factor is that each of those had, whether consciously or subconsciously, had done that work for herself. They all came from very, very different backgrounds, very different capabilities, very different areas of focus. And yet each one of them, especially as she came into her own as a leader, as somebody in the vanguard of her field, was able to take that raw material and own it. She shaped it and she owned it. So that's owning your story. And I give several different examples. And I've worked through this now with some corporate teams where it's quite powerful to see what comes out of the exercises that are a part of owning your story. The second part of that owning your story is drilling down to core purpose. And again, there's multiple ways to do this. I offer a couple of examples in the grip factor. So those tactical exercises in the book allow you to really bring that into your life. 
But that connection to core purpose becomes the foundation for grit, right? Because grit is very clearly one of the most important keys to our success, that ability to persevere in the face of challenge. And that once you're able to identify and connect to a core purpose, then no matter what turbulence you might hit, you have that anchor, that place that you can return to. So those are both two exercises that we give in the grit factor that these leaders very clearly had done for themselves. They tethered themselves to what mattered most, to those heart purposes that were outside of the organization, outside of the military, outside of the specific role that they were serving, and really a part of what they were made up of so they could bring their full selves to the challenges that were at hand. I'd be curious to hear, since you've worked this framework, I'm sure with some organizations, have you had a leadership team that you've approached with and got them to get more clear on their story? And what would be the typical kind of behaviors that might emerge that they might not have been aware of? Or have they been able to, you know, face adversity better? Have they found more emotional, you know, management abilities? What was the transformation that would happen once they started owning their past? Those are some great questions. And I actually need to circle back with a few of the folks that I have uh, talked to recently. But there are two that I have in mind, both from two different technology companies that I've either worked with or presented to in this past few months since the release of The Grit Factor. And one of them was in her role in market development for about 25 years. And she said she did this purpose exercise that is offered in The Grit Factor, this drill down to core purpose. And she said, you know, I've always been very, very good at my job. I've always been an excellent performer. Right now, things are really, really tough given the nature of their specific industry. And she said, I did this exercise and I connected to a whole different place, a place that I never really understood was my reason for being here. And she was literally uh, <laughs> almost bubbling up online. She was from in Australia, actually, the lady that I was talking to in this industry. And she said, I finally understand why it is that I'm here, why it is that I do what I do. And she's a technology leader, you know? It was really fabulous. The next example I'm thinking of is another different technology company, fewer immediate COVID-related challenges, but certainly the entire employee base is challenged like we all are. And she said the same thing. You know, I did this exercise. She said, I've done this exercise before. This wasn't the first time I'd done this exercise, but I actually do a storyline exercise with folks and her company calls it a journey line, but I give you several different steps. It's not simply just writing down the storyline. There's other steps of interrogation into your own journey. And she said, you know, I pulled out things that I had never understood before. And now I understand that connection between this value and what it is that I'm doing. And I'm sorry, I'm being a little bit oblique because they're personal stories. So I don't want to share without permission, but it was really fantastic to see that when you give yourself the time, invest in yourself enough to take the time to do these exercises and really interrogate your life and your values and your purpose that allows this place of deep connection so that when things are challenging and they are for most of us right now, very, very challenging, you really have this source of strength to be able to continue to move forward and to continue to maneuver. I absolutely love that. And I can totally see how when you get clear on that, it definitely gives you at least the energy you need to get through the harder times because it feels like it'd be so much easier to quit whenever you're not clear on your own purpose that you can't even commit to it. It's almost like everybody has a foot out the door, which doesn't allow them to run full speed within the room. And now that once you've done with this past and you've kind of decided, you become at a point where you make a strong decision to be there and to perform. I know your second step here, you're talking about the learn. And so walk us through that process. Once we've dealt with the past, we now jump into the present. 
Yeah, so this is this deep engagement in the present. And it's interesting. This is the place where I think some ideas came up that I wasn't quite expecting to have their own place in the book, but they end up having absolutely a key place. And I think it really comes, this deep engagement in the present acknowledges two primary things. It acknowledges the importance of relationships and it acknowledges the importance of mindset. So the first chapter of this learn section is really about drawing your circle or building your team. And this is really an acknowledgement that although many of these leaders in the vanguard of their fields felt very lonely much of the time, that none of us do it alone. And so there's this really critical element of building a team that is part of your team and being a part of somebody else's team as well and supporting them on their journeys is both a good thing to do, but it's also something that it turns out has positive repercussions on your career. So the building your team is a big piece of it. And we talk about some of those different roles The second part of that deep engagement in the present that comes up as perhaps the most strategic leadership skill, and this is fascinating to me, is developing the art and the science of active listening. And I just find that fascinating that they that came up to be such an important thing that it gets its own chapter because it is an art, it is a science, it can be developed. And for those of us who are so execution-oriented, at least speaking for myself, it's a really tough one. It's a tough one not just to learn, but then to remember and to integrate and to return to again and again. And yet it's a critical skill for success, especially as you become more senior. And then finally, really is this mindset idea. And this is the understanding that you can grow grit You can build it like a muscle. You can build resilience. And a lot of this is centered around something that I've been talking about more and more in the last few months, because it maybe is one of the most important things for us to focus on in times of challenge is the idea of mindset and the idea of grounded optimism, an optimism that's not Pollyannish, that's very much understands the realities that we're facing, but never, ever loses faith in the future, never, ever loses faith in the end, because that's absolutely critical to success. I usually give the example of Admiral Stockdale or those who were in the Hanoi Hilton. There's multiple psychological studies done on these prisoners of war that were held for a year, tortured mercilessly. And the thing that comes out of those studies is that those who survived and those who re-entered the world successfully had the mindset of grounded optimism or measured optimism. So pretty important, powerful stuff for those of us going through this uncertain time, but fortunately not quite at the same level as as the prisoners of war in Vietnam. But I think that's incredibly powerful. And the other, the second part of that is the mindset that when you go through hard times, if you understand that you are getting better, you are getting stronger, you're getting more able to handle challenges. And this is Carol Dweck's work from Stanford, of course, on growth mindset, which has now been extended into some other really interesting areas. That's the other important part of mindset. So grounded optimism and a growth mindset, understanding you're going through a hard time now that's making you better, that's making you stronger. That is absolutely beautiful and resonates so much with what we want here at Mindvalley. It's helping people's mindset as well. I can't quote this study, but I remember hearing about it, that Google actually saw that the number one correlator for their top performers in the workplace wasn't about the university they went and the degree they got, It was actually for people that at a young age had went through some turbulent, hard times and were able to come out of it with that new mindset that you speak of. 
and obviously not as traumatic as a prisoner of war scenario, but if there were any troubles in the family and they were able to overcome that, made them so much more resilient in the workplace than any other qualifications you could have, which I found was a very fascinating study. And you'd find it interesting, Mindvalley actually gave a challenge to Harvard University that we think a student going through our programs in five years is gonna be better qualified because we focus pretty much exclusively on mindset and growth mindset as well. Um, and so we feel those are the things that really prepare people for the future. And so we have active listening. We have the, um, the mindset, which are the two keys that you really need to be present, to be there in the learning phase and to be able to build your team. Finally, you speak about the launch, which seems to be what pulls you into the future. Where do we find ourselves here? Yeah, launch is, is the fun stuff, right? I mean, this is all fun stuff. And it's it's really investment in yourself and your team, really. I think of all of this as, as the stuff that matters the most and allows us to be human, really. So yeah, launch is three different aspects. And one of them is audacity. And that is willingness to face failure, willingness to face your fears. It's a really big area, especially for companies that tend to be more risk averse. But for all of us, we have to learn this at some point in our lives. And those leaders that are part of the grit factor have absolutely had to face this on multiple levels throughout their careers. So audacity to face failure, face fear, and understand that failure is not final, right? But it's what you do with it that counts. The second part that's critical is authenticity because leading, and especially for a minority and a majority field, it's so both tempting and sometimes required to really take on a different persona. And that can work for a short time. But at the end of the day, you have to find a way to operate in a way that is authentic to your core values and your core purpose and who it is that you are, or it's simply not sustainable. So these leaders that were able to be successful over the long term found a way to be themselves in a field that might not have seen anybody quite like them before. And that's particularly challenging when you're the only one or one of a few. And then finally, adaptability. And I think this past year has taught us this perhaps more than any other. But if you have got everything figured out, you know, all your T's crossed and your I's dotted and the plan is perfect, but you're not able to deviate from the plan, you're really in a bad spot when things go awry. And this last year, everything has been turned on its head. All of us who have continued forward have had to find ways to adapt. And these leaders who have been so successful in such challenging circumstances all have shown this incredible ability to be adaptable to changing circumstance. The military by itself certainly throws that at you in, in many, many different ways. But then again, as one of the only leaders in their group, in their fields, they had to really deal with adaptability in, in a whole different dimension. So those are really the key skills that come out as critical audacity and authenticity and adaptability, the three A's. That wasn't intentional, but it just turned out that way. Well, it works really well. And it's such a fun framework that you said, <laughs> this is the place where you can really move forward and set those bold goals and go out there and execute on the plan. And it sounds like to find that authenticity, if you've done the work on the commit phase, this would probably be an easier step to take care of because you've done your homework with the past, right? You're so right, Jason. And I think the thing is that when I look back on my own experiences as the young lieutenant showing up at age 23 at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, right? I showed up on base. There's 120 guys in the regiment. I'm the only woman in the regiment. I have my hair cut very, very short because I just didn't want them to have anything to say. And, and I think I made the mistake that a lot of young leaders make, not just with the haircut, but, but of really trying to be one of the majority, even though I wasn't. And I didn't know better. I didn't know a different way to operate. But I think the leaders that do this successfully realize that they have to be themselves. 
nobody wants them to take on that other role. I mean, there certainly are cultural things that you have to take into consideration in any organization. But at the end of the day, you've got to do something and be something that is authentic to who you are. And that's simply the only sustainable way to lead. And it's the only way to fully bring your gifts to the table as well, right, is to be the person that you are. A hundred percent. I find it so tempting, especially in the leadership circles, to find the people that you want to put in that team that are similar to you. Yet you see these, you know, companies that become blindsided by changes in the environment because all they've created is an echo chamber for their own thoughts with the similarities that they've attracted into that team. When you have these people operating authentically, being so diverse, you get to have all these different perspectives. Now you actually have richness in the leadership team. You actually have a lot of perspective that gets brought to the table. And now the company itself has so much more awareness of every aspect of what's happening without needing to be just complying and standardized like the leader could find themselves wanting. Which kind of brings me to one of these last questions, which is if you are currently in a position that you feel that you cannot step into your authentic self, you feel like the leadership is currently demanding this homogeneity. I hope I said that word right. <laughs> what can we do? Like we talked earlier about some of the steps we can do as an organization to bring a lot more inclusiveness and we could say appreciation for diversity. But if you're seeing that the company's just not there yet, how much do you stick around? How much do you work on changing versus how much do you decide to go elsewhere? It's an important question and a hard one, but I do think it's important in part because one of the criticisms, of course, of grit is that there are times when it's the right time to leave. I don't think of that actually as something that is antithetical to grit, but rather it's a both and sort of a thing. So what I have told a young person recently was stay long enough to make a contribution and to learn something. Right. So there are some people that it seem like they kind of pop around like popcorn on careers. And I, I don't think that's to be recommended, to be honest. At the same time, if you're somewhere where you won't have the opportunity to make a contribution or you get to a place or a point where that's the case, it might be time to look for another opportunity where you can make a significant contribution. So I do think when you feel like you want to leave because you've been there four months and you don't like your boss, that's probably not the right that's probably not the right thing. I would, again, stay a little longer, find a way to contribute, like volunteer for the hard stuff or the not fun stuff and, and really make a difference. And then if you feel like there's not opportunities after you've done that, you've done that work, then maybe it is an opportunity to look elsewhere. So it depends on where you are in the organization in terms of whether or not you can affect change within that organization. So I would not beat your head against the wall. I talked to some young woman recently who had grew up in India and ended up going to school in the States and is working for a company in the Midwest and has been sort of beating her head against the wall for about eight years. And she's been a top performer, absolute stellar performer. And I was like, eight years is long enough. You know, if you don't think you can make a difference at that point, if you don't think you're going to have opportunity despite stellar performance, then find a place that appreciates that, you know, and shame on that company for not. So hopefully that company will change over time, but she is, as one person is not going to be able to affect that change. So those are hard choices to make, but there are times to make those choices as well. Beautifully said. Shannon, thank you so much for all of your insights and your time for doing this amazing conversation with me and going over the concepts. For those of you listening, you're going to want to pick up the grit factor, courage, resilience, and leadership in the most male-dominated organization in the world. And as a recap for what we talked today, I love that we really kicked it off with the number one thing we should recognize is in leadership, you need to acknowledge and respect the team, take care of your team. The U.S. military does a fantastic job of doing that. And in our organizations, if we weren't so focused 
focus on short-term profits, we realize that this is the key thing that allows companies to grow over the long term is taking care of your people. We've went over the steps within the grit factor. We talked about the commit, the learn, the launch, the past, the present, the future, making sure that at the first stage and commit, you look into your past and you really find yourself, you, you own your story so that you can show up fully yourself. We talked about the learn where you need to look at the mindset. You also want to develop your active listening skills, which will allow you to be present and really show up wherever you are. And then we finally talked about how to launch by being authentic, by being audacious and being adaptable as well. This was a fantastic conversation, closing off with the fact that you will learn your skill of grit as you go through these steps, this triad, and your grit is to make a contribution through the organization. When you see things are tough, you can find yourself being able to make that contribution, find that white space where you can make a difference. And if you've invested long enough and you realize that there are better places you can make those contributions, you can look elsewhere, but don't give up too easy. I think a lot of people in today's culture give up too easy, but when you develop the grit factor, you will go the distance, you will do incredible things and organizations as a whole can transform based on your courage to decide to step up and make that change happen. Shannon, thanks again so much for your time. This was a fantastic conversation and all you listeners, thanks and continue being superhuman. Once again, everybody, thanks for tuning in to Superhumans at Work. I'm very grateful for all of you who tune in on a regular basis, listening to these amazing interviews with these guests that I get to find. Now, if you're subscribed to the show, definitely leave us a review if you can and share it with friends so that we can spread the message and get more people to be able to learn of these fantastic ideas that they can bring in their everyday life. And these episodes, of course, are brought to you by Mindvalley. When you go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, you get to discover the transformational education that we get to deliver where we bring the best technology, the best teachers, and ensure that it teaches you what leads to a truly incredible life. Thanks again for tuning in and watching the show. And until next time, stay superhuman. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast.